For all transgender Americans watching at home, especially young people, we want to know your president has your back. Thank you, President Biden, for those words. You're listening to Germantown Community Radio, 92.9 FM WGGTLP Philadelphia and online at gtownradio.com. If it's Thursday evening, this is Cue the Mic. And if it's Saturday afternoon at 2, you're listening to us on WXVU 89.1 FM Villanova's Community Campus Radio Station. Welcome. Welcome, welcome. Cue the mic, cue the mic. It just sounds good when I say it more than one time. Um, this is Dr. Renee Norris-Jones. It's doctor with the accent. Um, my grandchildren, two grandsons call me Dr. Grandmother. I had everything to do with that. One is five, so it's just starting to come out clear. Um, and the other one's like, he just turned one. So I'm just getting, you know, gobble, gobble, you know, whatever kids say. Um, I don't know why I keep saying gobble, gobble, gobble. That's clearly a turkey. Anyway, my pronouns are she, her. And sometimes depending on the situation, I, I relate to a hey dude, you know, what's going on. And I'm here with my co-host, Sandy Smith. Good evening, everyone. Sandy Smith here, uh, Germantowner since... Uh... 2013 Philadelphian since 1983. Day job is home real estate editor at Philadelphia Magazine. Uh, and in order to discourage people from sending me emails that begin with the salutation, Dear Ms. Smith, my pronouns are he, him, and his. As I believe are those of our other co host, Herman Epperson. Hey, everybody. My name's Herman. My pronouns are he, him, and his. Um, I'm a theater major at Community College of Philadelphia, and I uh, used to be a Army National Guardsman for 11 years in the great state of Pennsylvania. I served as a combat engineer and a minesweeper. So this is a much needed career change. And you are, did you mention that you're going into acting in theater? Maybe. I could do <laughs> writing, I, could do I don't have to make that decision just yet. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, but you got your SAG after card, right? <laughs> I, I, I'm not. I haven't even graduated. I'm not. Didn't even think that far. But I would like to have one. Yeah. Okay. Um. Uh, do you have to graduate to get it? No. Right. Well, no. But I'm not exactly. A, I'm not even a fully trained actor or anything. Mm. Like I, I have. I have not made those connections yet. Um. I've done nothing. So when I. When I finish school, I start getting work. I'm start appearing in things. I'll, I'll worry about that then. Right now, I'm just trying to like eat dinner. <laughs> you know, and sometimes that's a big, a, a big step. So, Sandy, what do we have tonight? Well, let's see. Tonight, cue the mic. Uh, we're going to start out with our usual "why pronouns matter" feature, but in a, there is a sense in which you could say that all tonight is about why pronouns matter, among other things. Uh, we've got a special guest this evening on our Trans Spotlight, Naima Sanchez, who's the coordinator of the Trans Justice Program at the ACLU of Pennsylvania. And uh, we'll be speaking with her. Many of the items we've got on our usual segments, political cues and news, gay answers to straight questions, maybe even newsworthy or not, are related to issues of concern 
to trans citizens. So let's consider this all why pronouns matter. But first, today in queer history, on this day in 1868, um, in a letter to an early sex law reformer, Carl Maria Kirkbenny is the first known to have privately used new words homosexual and heterosexual. These terms did not appear in print until the following year. Um, now, generally speaking, they've fallen out of favor again, it seems. Gay and straight or queer and straight are, I'd say, the uh, more prevalent ones. Also in 2009, Maine Governor John Baldacci legalized same-sex marriage in that state, becoming the first governor in the nation to sign the same-sex marriage law. But the citizens of Maine voted to overturn it when they went to the polls the following November and made Maine the 31st state to ban marriage equality. You've got a little something, uh, a historical item too, right, Herman? May 1st was the first day of Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month. As uh, our listeners may or may not know, I am half Black, half Filipino. And uh, this day is a uh, state matters a lot to me. And uh, uh, back in 1587, the first Filipinos landed with uh, Spanish colonizers in Morro Bay, Central California. Um, and that was the first documented uh, event of uh, Asians coming uh, to America. They were immediately attacked by uh, the indigenous population and driven away as they should have been. Uh, and then they got back on their boats and went down to uh, Mexico. Historically, this, this uh, day of uh, honor was written into, was uh, passed by Jimmy Carter as far back as, eight, as October 5th, 1978. Hmm. Um, and then in 1990, uh, President George Bush I uh, passed a bill to extend Asian American heritage a week to a month. Wow. Wow. Very nice. And Naima, thank you for being here. We were looking at your background and I was just like, my God, what hasn't she done? What hasn't she done? So Sandy, take it away. All right. Uh, so as I said, our special guest this evening is Naima Sanchez, uh, who's an out and proud transgender Afro-Latina who's been advocating and making changes for transgender identified individuals for over 10 years. Um, currently, she serves as the coordinator for the Trans Justice Program with the ACLU of Pennsylvania. Her goal there is to reduce challenges and barriers for impacted communities on a statewide policy and legislative level. Uh, other work she's done, uh, she has six years of experience providing direct support services for trans and non-binary Philadelphians as the program coordinator for the Trans Health Information Program uh, of the Trans Equity Project. This was the only program for transgender non-binary individuals that was fully staffed by transgender and non-binary individuals in Pennsylvania. Uh, in 2014, she worked with the Philadelphia prison system to, gain, to get it compliant with the Prison Rape Elimination Act and worked on a system within the prison that would help trans Philadelphians re-enter civilian life. It was through this experience that she was able to gain more knowledge of everyone's trauma and uh, gain the ability to co-empower 
uh, transgender non-binary individuals to achieve their short and long-term goals so they didn't have to live by the negative stigmas and stereotypes attached to uh, that are attached to and that oppress uh, transgender and non-binary communities. Um, so maybe this is a good place to uh, ask uh, you, Naima, why pronouns matter? Well, thank you for having me today, everyone. And um, so just hi, everyone who's listening. I'm Naima, she, her pronouns. And thank you for that introduction. So why pronouns matter? Uh, well, it's important to understand, you know, one, the person that you are speaking with and, and making sure that we're respecting everyone's pronouns is one, acknowledging your own pronouns. So um, you never know, you know, there is a, a perception that by look that you can tell uh, what someone's gender is or how they uh, relate to themselves. And unfortunately, our perceived notion sometimes leaves us um, making assumptions, which covers the first three letters in that word when you assume someone's pronouns. So most importantly is to uh, acknowledge your own pronouns and respect someone else's pronouns. Wonderful. Welcome. I actually listened to, you were here in 2019 in the fall, and I actually listened to part of that show the other day. Um, and I was just so excited to have you back. One of the things I, we were talking about uh, before, the, before we start recording this week's episode was uh, another interesting milestone um, was reached this week when in his address to the joint session of Congress, um, President Biden remarked that the, the transgender community, quote, has his back, close quote. Um, and I, I think that was an interesting milestone. I assume that you heard it, Naima, and I'd like to know what you thought about it. Well, I did hear it and I watched the, uh, the Congress address and I'm gonna apologize because I have some rescue birds that um, will be chirping as I'm talking. Um, but I think that, um, you know, the president has the highest platform in the nation um, to like, uh, really be vocal and set the tone for inclusion, acceptance, respect, right? Um, and in his address, when he acknowledged uh, the resilience of trans and non-binary Americans and folks in America who are trans and non-binary, uh, it, it set the tone that this, this president ultimately will go to the back for us. But, you know, it, me being a trans person who uh, transitioned pre-trained, Preteen and has been working in this uh, advocacy uh, industry or rum for field for you know over ten years. Uh, you know words only go but so far, uh, and this is why we need to start moving forward with like protecting on paper so we can hold folks accountable to uh, you know respecting and and holding a non discrimination kind of um, outlook on on folks in America. So I, again, I think it was amazing. Yeah, and I want to say we were talking about this briefly before the show, and I was um, reading the quote, which was to all transgender Americans watching at home, um, especially young people, you're so brave. And it was the brave that Naima said, don't say brave. Um, and I totally get it as a survivor of domestic violence. Sometimes I have to tell people don't say this or don't say that because we don't know. Um, but I like when you said resilience, and that just made a huge difference in the tone of that conversation. Um, what is the dislike of the word brave? Like, what, 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 
why is that no? And I'm not challenging no, I just wanna know why is that not a good thing? I mean, we just look at the definition to uh, be ready to face and endure danger or pain, you know, showing right. coverage, right? Right. Uh, this is something that our community has faced for over 50 years, over a hundred years since the beginning of time, right? Injustice and discrimination and just dislike and violence, right? Uh, so when we use the term brave, it actually just say that like, I see you, but I don't hear you. And, and that's how it's perceived in community. But when we say that you are resilient, that means, yes, you are experiencing this, but you are overcoming this, right? It is this, uh, this outlook of like co-powering community to, to be stronger, right? Through adversities, right? Uh, so when we, we, language is important. And I know that uh, like the intro is like why pronouns matter, but language matter as well. And like what terms we use to uh, describe conversations or impact in community really matters. Um, like it sets a tone of you as an ally to that community, right? So the president has, has a lot more growing to do. Uh, and, and as we all do, excuse the, link, uh, the music in the background, but we all do. One of the things I guess I'd like to say, you've been, you've been at this work for a decade. How would you characterize the changes progress, um, you know, transformations that you've witnessed and experienced over the last 10 years or so? I mean, there's many accomplishments that we've have made. Um, you know, we still don't, we still don't have explicit language, uh, in the legislator to, that protects against discrimination in all areas, right? Uh, but we uh, were able to uh, sue uh, and, and, and set the tone around employment discrimination when it came to trans identity, right? Bostock case. Uh, so we, we gained these small achievements, but overall, the, the overall goal is like total liberation, right? And, and the small milestones matter because it liberates community members who are accessing employment or accessing resources and housing or even in education areas, right? Uh, but a total, uh, the work continues because we need this on the books, total protection so that we can hold entities accountable for the lack of respect and, and ultimately human right respect of a person um, based on their bias against uh, their gender identity or perceived gender identity, right? Uh, we've seen like here in Philadelphia, like I just think back to uh, Jackie Adams and Charlene Arcella, two trans pioneers in Philadelphia history, right? Uh, and Charlene Arcella worked to, to remove the gender marker off for the trans passes, right? Uh, because that set a challenge towards trans and non-binary folks when they were actually trying to ride public transportation being like uh, outed that uh, someone would put an M marker on a, uh, on, on a trans female's uh, pass uh, because it's their perceived with that person on the other side perceived their gender to be, right? And we think of like Jackie Adams uh, and the work around reentry with trans folks and like trying to reduce the harm that folks experience on a daily. Um, so I think that small accomplishments like policy 252 in the school district is something that we, we need to like, celebrate, uh, but the work continues, right? Uh, so yeah, I mean, over, over time, we've, we've been able to grab these small milestones, but uh, we have to continue to do this work. And, and, what's, and what's the 252, would you say, with the school district? 
Yeah, so policy 252 is a, is a policy that was created by uh, trans and non-binary students, um, youth in Philadelphia, and it was driven through the Bryson Institute, the Attic uh, Youth Center, uh, and, and I believe one of the students that was behind uh, driving uh, the vision behind this inclusive policy uh, was Hazel Edwards, who now works at University of Pennsylvania uh, Clinical Trials Unit. Uh, but the policy is, is a non-discrimination policy. It, it goes to protect the trans and non-binary student around uh, pronouns and name change, locker rooms. It's just an a, a inclusive policy that, that create a protective barrier for trans and non-binary students, right? Um, and it is a policy that has been used to uh, to um, for other school districts throughout Pennsylvania to model for um, protecting trans students. Wow, wow. Um, so there's been a lot of things kind of in the um, news this week um, and a lot of feedback. So the, um, I don't even know how I found the, maybe it just came on a, came on on my phone as a notification what Biden said, but Lately, there's been a lot of talk in reference to sports. I read something yesterday that said you have parents that, that are willing to move to another state because the state they're in doesn't offer any protections for their trans child. Here's the thing. There's a, a wave of anti-trans uh, legislation across this nation, right? Starting from Texas up to New Hampshire, from California to Pennsylvania, right? These are initiative by legislators that what I see as like this political pool, right? They're using trans youth, trans and access to healthcare and sports uh, to, to gain political power, right? And now we're seeing it here in, in Pennsylvania, right? With, uh, I think it's uh, HB, like House Bill 972, which is like this Protect Women's Sports Act, right? And this is, and this is sports bill is specifically banning trans women and girls from sports, right? And we don't see um, anything in this bill that actually sets the tone of uh, making sports equitable for women, but more so singling out trans girls and trans women uh, to discriminate and, and, and ultimately make sports a more triggering and traumatic experience for all folks, right? Because now we're talking about biological sex and what is perceived as biological sex and how uh, how you identify someone's uh, gender, right? Uh, so we, we get into privacy issues as well. Uh, and we're talking about folks that's under 25. We're talking about youth, right? Um, and this is specific. It's like, why are we creating solutions for problems that don't exist, it don't right? Exist, right. Yeah. It don't. It don't exist at all, right? We we don't see a disadvantage for cis girls and cis women in sports, right? And there's this one case that they bring up continuously from Connecticut as they continue to spew this hateful language against trans kids, right? Uh, if this was something, and, and this is uh, my personal experience around sports, right? Uh, when when I played sports back in, in back in my younger days, uh, there was like a weight class and like, uh, right. you know, like they wouldn't put me as five nine uh, against somebody five two. It just, it, it just doesn't, you know, it doesn't make, and, and right. I'm 180 to somebody that's a hundred or 90 pounds. It just doesn't, it's, that is a disadvantage. Now we don't see that. And there has, 
there has not been any evidence that, uh, you know, senators who are introducing these legislations that are um, specifically targeting out trans girls and women in sports, um, there, there's just no evidence that that they have an advantage uh, in, the, in this area, right? I just think that they're, they're testing the waters. And again, as I said earlier, it's like a political power, right? It's like, oh, I'm going to attack the most vulnerable, right? To gain, uh, you know, my base trust since this previous election didn't go as well as folks thought it would have went, right? Um, and that is a broader conversation uh, that we need to look at is like, during the previous president administration, there was direct attacks against trans non-binary folks in America, right? LGBT right. people. And, and now we see a new president that is, uh, or a new administration that is coming in, reversing all of these anti-trans uh, executive orders and initiatives that's happening, right? Let's talk about in, in, uh, uh, what's, um, in, in housing, like in the shelter uh, system. It was like discriminatory to directly trans women. And like, if you were born this, you, you're, you could not access housing, right? But, but now that we see a president that is uh, supportive of trans and non-binary LGBTQ and T folks, we see a legislator that is feeling more emboldened to act on these last four years of ideals to gain, again, this political power to attack uh, young folks. Yeah, he, he definitely did a lot of, so we had Obama who kind of brought about a lot of peace um, with everything that's happening with kids. I keep going back to when, um, I'm trying to think it was Biden and it was the woman who could see Russia or somewhere from her house. Um, Sarah Palin. Sarah, yeah, Sarah. And somebody I think started attacking her kids and he was just like, okay, that's it. Time out. No kids. Kids are off limits. Um, and then during the Trump years, oh my God, there was so much hate that was just coming towards everybody, anybody. Um, it, was, it was a lot. So this is very, very refreshing. And my question, all of that, I lost my question. My question is, doop, 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 doop. Okay. Um, I don't remember. I'll come back to it. Um, but my question is, are most of the states in the South, South and the Midwest? Yeah, yeah, that's where we, we're seeing um, where there is a more of a Republican pool in the legislature, right, where mm -hmm. these votes are getting through, right, these bills are getting through committee, getting to the floor for a vote, and you actually have a governor's support of anti-trans legislation. I mean, come on now, we're taking the rights of health care away from children, right? I mean, how worse of a person can you be to attack a child? Right. Right. An innocent being. Right. We're supposed to be promoting positivity in these young folks and, and raising them up into productive folks in America. And what we are creating is like we're just intensifying trauma in, in their lives. Right. And in and, and raising folks that envy the system. Right. So and you just said something there in reference to they're denying health care or care that has to do with transitioning to the minors. So this is the thing, the language is broad, trans-related care, right? Trans-related right. care can mean anything. They go into these conversations talking about surgeries, right? Oh, we don't wanna let children have surgeries, but the data don't support 
that kind of conversation or the facts that children are having surgeries. You know, there is uh, guidelines uh, right. before a person who is transgender have any type of surgery, whether bottom surgery, top surgery, surgery, any trans-related surgery. They and, have and you know what? And that has been around for as long as I can remember. Even as a child, child, tween, teen, I remember them saying that in order to have, and back then I really didn't know what it was, but I knew that to have it, there had to be all of these, all of these med medical tests that needed to happen. So that's not, not even anything new for that to happen, but, but that was happening with adults. I mean, there's, there, there are no children accessing surgeries, right? It's more right. of a, let's see, a therapist. When, when, they, when they use these terms like trans-related care, it just leaves it open broad, right? And anything right. perceived as trans-related care. I'll give an experience of like me going to a doctor for uh, an infected flu vaccine that I had got a few years ago, right? Right. Um, and on the paper, the hospital put diagnosis one, transgender person, diagnosis two, sepsis, right? Uh, <laughs> diagnosis one is not a true diagnosis because being a transgender <laughs> person is not a diagnosis. Uh, oh but my this goodness. Is, but, I don't know if anybody can see that face on ages now, but holy, why? Sorry, please continue. <laughs> no, I mean, but if, if laws were passed that would restrict trans-related care, because of diagnosis one, diagnosis two would not be covered by my insurance, right? Wow. Because they are they are saying that diagnosis two was a subset of diagnosis one, right? Uh, so so it would it would leave me with let's just say fifteen thousand dollars worth of hospital bills that would not be covered by my insurance because the legislator felt like trans-related care should not be covered by any insurance, right? Um, and, and, and this is just horrible because they're specifically targeting trans youth. Youth. I mean, we've seen this a few years back with CHIP reauthorization where, where CHIP was, uh, it was the end of the year and, and uh, ended the budget season and like, all right, we need to reauthorize uh, this, this uh, children's health insurance program for Pennsylvania children, right? And they specifically amended it. It could have just went up for a vote for just, let's just reauthorize it, right? With no amendments. The amendment that was added was to uh, restrict trans-related care. Um, and, and again, this can be anything. Mental health services, we're talking about resources in your physician. You could even, again, be associated. What with happened to HIPAA services. though? What happened to HIPAA? Doesn't HIPAA come, in, come into play there? Privacy? Well, I mean, it does come in, uh, come into play, but when you you see what my experience, the hospital put diagnosis one transgender person, diagnosis two, sepsis, right? So there is no, this is discharge paperwork. This is stuff that they submit to your insurance. So HIPAA yeah. doesn't play when the, come into play when this is a provider to insurance company, right? HIPAA yeah. pro, uh, protects you from uh, disclosure outside of a patient provider or provider and insurer insurance, right? Right, right. Uh, but these are the initiatives that are being taken by legislators. And, and, and the horrible part is we're in the middle of a pandemic, Ugh. right? Right. So kids aren't really in school. So we're moving into creating, again, solution for schools when students are at home going to school, right? And as we transition back to this new normal, where folks are being vaccinated and getting back into their 
back before 2020 uh, routines, like in person, uh, these are the things that they're setting up, challenges for young folks in school. It's horrible. That's it, 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 it makes me go back to the article I read yesterday, how parents are willing to uproot their families, which is not easy to do, which means that you're leaving your job, community, possibly family, to go to another state for protection. Um, yeah, that's just horrible. That's just, it is. It's, 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 it's not even humane. Like, what are you talking about? And it's also a gamble for the parents because who knows what the next state may do, right? We're seeing right. this wave throughout the nation. And I think this is the time, if, if there were any, that we come together as a community, cis folks, trans folks, you know, all LGBT allies, you know, all of us to, to come together and resist these types of initiative because when you attack the most vulnerable, anyone is, 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 is up for, for yeah. play, right? It's like, yeah. okay, where do, you draw, where do you draw the line after that? Right. Mm -hmm. True. So, yeah. so, so, so is the kids thing kind of recent? Maybe it's a, it's a ploy to um, get other barriers in there. Is the kids, you know, trans care, is, is that whole thing, is that something new or that's always been around with the kids? I guess bringing the kids into it, when did that start? I, I was gonna say, I, as far back as uh, five years ago with the, the bathroom um, debacle, mm -hmm. uh, I think mm -hmm. that was 2015-ish. I mean, it's never about the bathroom. It's, it really this is, isn't a, isn't. It's, it's, it's not about the bathroom. It's not about sports. It's, oh, goodness. <laughs> it's okay. Welcome to Zoom meeting. This is Zoom, Zoom. This, this is the world of remote radio via Zoom anymore. We're all in our homes. See network TV programs where somebody's iPhone goes off in the middle of the interview. Um, one of the things that's always struck me as curious is that it seems most of the fear and uh, uh, pushback is directed towards trans women, you know, and I mean, you know, men transitioning to women are not the only trans people out there. And I'm wondering why the special venom reserved for that. It's because they're ignorant and full of crap. So. I, I agree. I mean, I, this is this is where we 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 focus at and say this is specific discrimination. When you single out a group of people to deny them access to a certain a certain resource, it is specific. It's discrimination. My my take on this, it's kind of correct me if I'm wrong, but the reason why I believe they specifically single out trans women is because they're working on the the idea that trans women are still men. And then this having a man and women sports disrupts, disrupts uh, a fair challenge in sports or having a man go into a, a woman's bathroom is, is wrong. And they don't, they don't think about what about women who transition to men because that's, that's not, a, that's not um, I don't wanna say it's not as common, but you don't see many you don't you don't you don't normally see that in um in uh and like let me just let me just sit down before i screw myself up here but what i'm trying to say is it that's not the most um uh common transition you see in the media i guess um well i i think that 
there's we need to understand this that trans uh, men and non-binary folks don't get enough recognition around their transition their struggles um just their experience overall you know and trans women really have um gotten a lot of uh of highlights because of the violence that we experience, right? Being murdered, um, right. being assaulted, ended up into the jail systems. So I think that just the impact is different, but just like how it's amplified is just, again, like you said, it's not um, in the media as much, right? We, right? we don't hear about trans men being denied access. I mean, one of our, uh, one of our trans students uh, that had faced some challenges in their school district was trans masculine, right? Uh, and it was like, you know, something as simple, you know, that as a locker room and, and uh, right. they made it, they made it just as awkward as possible for the student and, and also for other students who supported that student, right? Um, but again, yes, it doesn't get a lot of uh, amplification, right? There's the struggles, but it, it doesn't uh, negate the fact that it's real trans men and non-binary folks experience a high rate of discrimination as well, right. right? It's just that specifically legislators are biased towards trans women because they think of this as a biological sex assigned at birth male, right? This biological and this, this, um, this threat of like, of harm, right? And, and like when they use the bathroom, the restroom uh, language bills, uh, they use images of uh, of masculine people going into little girls' rooms to portray that there was a privacy or a safety issue. The problem ended up being it's uh, men, um, and they have a lot to they have a lot to unpack there, and they to 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 um, deflect that onto trans women is just completely wrong. Look, we as men have a whole bunch of issues we still have to sort out about masculinity and all that stuff. And I think some of that comes into play here. You know, these folks are sort of, you know, I, I don't know if, I, I, if I'm accurately describing this right, but I think they may be projecting themselves onto the, onto the men who transition and imagining what they would be doing, which is not true or accurate, but you know, yeah. I mean, who knows? Who knows? Let's just say when Dr. Rachel Levine, uh, what like the spotlight was on her around like when COVID first started, it was like there wasn't no attacks against what she was doing to prevent infection, the spread of, of COVID in Pennsylvania, but more so around her gender identity, right? There were more vocal attacks around her gender identity. And just think about as she got uh, nominated uh, to the Biden administration, uh, you know, there was a lot of uh, conversation around her being a pediatrician and being trans and, oh, she's uh, diagnosing and giving medication to kids and making them girls, right? That was the language. This was mm. the language. So we see this type of bias because this is a historical ignorance, right? These are historical biases that we pass on, these traits we pass on in our own families, right? The lack of understanding and, and just support for someone who is, is unique, Right, like celebrating our uniqueness versus uh, hating someone because uh, of their uniqueness or their differences, right? Uh, it's just horrible. Actually, I think this might make a good segue for our, the political cues and news item we had uh, queued up today uh, because it does involve a trans politician. Well, actually, she wasn't a trans politician until she threw her hat in the ring saying she wants to run for governor of California in the recall election for Gavin Newsom. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, Caitlyn Jenner's in that. <laughs> just watching the whole facial reactions already. Yeah, I, I, I think I know I am watching. going. Yeah, I am watching Naima's face, man. It is going back and forth. Naima, you're talking to us. We can't hear you. But her head, his face is going back and forth like, yeah. no, not Caitlyn, not Caitlyn. Uh, well, uh, yeah, the, the, the word on the street is that basically her, 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 her announcement landed like, went over like a lead balloon with the trans community in California. Um, you know, they basically, I think I read something where it says, you know, yeah, we understand, you know, her, her but as a candidate, no hard pass. Um, you care to share some thoughts on the situation? <laughs> I'm watching her face. <laughs> it's just like, oh, do I have a lot to say here? <laughs> I mean, it, it's hard because you don't want to attack anyone that's trans. I'm trans myself, right? And, and it's not about attacking her, but we're fighting so hard to protect the rights of young folks, of, of trans people throughout America. And uh, she definitely just took a, a, a leap into um, speaking to the opposition's point that as her as being someone who comes from the athletic field right the realm the industry and also being trans identified that she doesn't support and, and, and this is again specific to bio this is her words biological boys transitioning playing on girl sports it's, it's like how, i'm sorry I'm, I'm sorry caitlin the the athlete is saying this yes and, it's, and this is horrible this is <sighs> this is this is horrible. And, and I did a Facebook live this morning talking about this. And I said, you know, we shouldn't perpetuate our own trauma onto the young folks, right? If, if this is like, because of systematic oppression and like, just like this whole desire by a nation to disrespect, deny someone the right to be, you know, to be who they are, you know, Caitlin, unfortunately, weren't able to transition, right? She talked about this, like conforming to society's expectation, why she continued to be who she was, an athlete, right? Um, and then it was enough. Like she's ready to retire and she transitioned, right? But you're perpetuating the trauma that you experience, right? And the words that you're using in a platform that you're trying to gain to to over to govern California. Yeah, I see, right? I see what you're saying. It's just it's just horrible. It's this ain't this ain't this ain't it, bro. This ain't it. <laughs> and and like I like I see people disrespecting her, calling her he, and you know calling her her uh, her. Uh, name that uh, was assigned to her at birth. But, you know, my thing is this, don't disrespect her, respect her pronouns, respect her name, but don't vote for her, right? And this is me taking off my ACLU hat and me being someone in community because I'm impacted by this because her setting that tone creates this dialogue of, of, of wave of legislation that we should not support trans girls, right, at all. And that there is this like, overall advantage for trans girls in sports, right? Um, which is just harmful. Like it's just, it's just violent all around. And, and again, uh, when we are silent, we are violent and, and mm -hmm. I can't allow this. I cannot allow this to set the tone in my community, let alone in any state. I'm not a Californian, but, but I know people out there that will be affected by her words, right? Or who is affected by her words, right? Trans women are dying all over the place and we're taking direct initiative to attack trans young girls right 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 so so we hear more about black trans women that are getting attacked is that um for any particular reason i'm assuming it's, it's crossing every social economic um or maybe maybe i'm wrong 
Um, but is it because we hear more of black trans getting attacked, black trans women getting attacked, is it limited to black trans women? Not at all. I just think that uh, it's being reported more. That's one thing. Let's just let's just call it what it is. Um, is that black trans women murders are being reported properly and reported more, right? And now community members are more awake and organizing so that when folks go missing or are um, presumed to be um, unfortunately dead, you know, we organize and we amplify the experience of that person at the time of their demise, right? Uh, but Black trans women are, are not the only ones being attacked, right? And, and trans women of color are not the ones um, experiencing this. And, 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 I, and I think that this is important. It's just that Black trans women and trans women of color are disproportionately affected by brutality and violence inside community. And this can be caused by a whole lot of things, systematic oppression, um, the, uh, domestic violence. I mean, it could be a whole lot of things. So I can't point to one thing which is causing this, but I do know what is causing I guess overall, it, it would just be ignorance with, within our nation, right? Um, and the lack of respect and for, for folks' uniqueness. And, and, and it seems like by just saying Black trans women are being attacked, first of all, um, I'm a Black female. So I'm a feminist, okay? Let me start with that. I'm a feminist and I'm Black. So I know that women are at the bottom. You still have race, but in the bottom, it's still a man's world, you know? So as a woman, I know, and a woman of color, I know that I'm at the bottom. So it seems by just focusing on and putting it out into the universe that it's just Black trans women, it gives people the opportunity to go, eh, she was Black, she's disposable. Um, and it seems like that does more harm than versus, versus saying a trans person um, was attacked. All of a sudden, Nigel Morris popped into my head. Nigel Morris? Remember her? I suck with names. Uh, give me the year. Uh, this was, I think, the early 1990s. She was a well-known trans woman in the uh, uh, Black gay community. Um, she had been, I think, picked up by police, uh, some minor charge. And that was the last time she was seen alive. Wow. Was that here in Philadelphia? That was here in Philadelphia. Wow. Yeah, Naja Morris, she received the courtesy ride from a police officer um, yeah. from a location, uh, I guess it was Sisters uh, Bar downtown to her house. And uh, she never made it home. She wound up being found with head trauma at like uh, 16th and Spruce wow. um, yep. on the side of the road. and. Uh, the first ever inpatient drug and alcohol treatment facility uh, for for trans and non-binary folks is named after Naja Morris. It's the Naja Morris home in Southwest Philadelphia. Wow. Um, so yeah. Uh, <sighs> uh, yeah, I was still in Texas in the early '90s, so I I, I knew that didn't. I, I know that I'm not good with names, but I also wasn't familiar with the story, even when you were were stating it. But that's um, wow. She was very well known and very well loved within the community. It, you know, the, the death came as a shock. I think there are people here who are still, you know, A, scratching their head over it, B, suspecting foul play on the part of the cop. No one, I don't think, ever got charged in her death. I am not surprised to hear that. 
Um, so, yeah. so how did they track the track that she got picked up by the police? Did anything come from that? So the, no. I believe the I believe the officer had um, charted or called it in as a courtesy ride, um, and 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 also people in the area, um, but there was never like a drop off. Uh, uh, like, uh, you know, back then, how they charted, they usually call over the mic, uh, mm. I mean, over the, the PA thing. And um, so that's how that went. And it's just, you know, assumed that it was the police officer, but we don't know. It's still a cold case. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Wow. This, this is not good at all. Um, and then there was Bill Maher. Is that his name? Bill Maher's response Bill Maher. to... Politically um, incorrect. You know, oh, yeah, just piled it on. Um, um, he was uh roasting Caitlyn Jenner on his uh, uh TV show. Uh, here we go. <laughs> um, wait a minute, now I'm trying to find, I thought I had this thing up. One thing that Naima mentioned is people, um, going out their way to misgender or like um, dead name drop someone who's trans because they hate them for their policies. That's something I, I've been trying to call out in my own circles where uh, they're dealing with somebody who's trans and they don't like them for Completely reasons unrelated to their gender identity, but they use that as a, uh, a method to say some really bigoted things. And um, it's, it, it's, I always feel like you take one step forward, you take two steps back with this, these, these issues. And, and another thing about uh, uh, Biden, um, saying all those those kind words and but it does really come down to action and i mentioned in the last show that what my take from the uh the last debate he had with trump before the election him apologizing about uh the uh policies he he supported in the 90s about putting more law enforcement on the streets and stuff like that and how that had a direct negative impact on black communities in the the years after he apologized for it and said it was, you know, he thought he was doing the right thing back then and it was evident that he wasn't and he was misguided. Um, that, that he acknowledged that was great, but it all comes down to what you do in office and, and the action. So, and also debating Trump is a really low bar. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, it's like, it, it was to take the high ground is not, you know, when you're debating Trump is like, you look so much better. <laughs> but long, long story short, it really does come down to what you're, he's able to accomplish in office because words, we've all heard kind words before. Um, and it really comes down to action. It does. And, and, and I really want to encourage folks to get out and vote. Like, yeah. uh, we, can't, we can't just hold the president accountable to like create this uh, environment that's safe for all of us, right? It's the legislator as well, right? So yeah. let's, let's just 
uh, he influences and, and creates that dialogue between the two parties uh, in Congress. But I, I do think that it, we need to hold ourselves accountable as well as who we elect into office. Um, so get out and vote, exercise your rights, and, uh, and make sure we're voting in the right people, right? That's going to protect all of us. Right. So we well, may have he, a, a really supportive president, but we also have to do our part and make sure we, we um, cultivate that, uh, that movement. So I, they, I was we, going to go ahead. Yeah, I, I was going to jump on here by pointing out that, you know, what we're talking about here right now is really the product of a bottom up movement. This wasn't something that our national leaders said, well, it's time we did this because it's the right thing to do. The sure. politicians are responding to people who said this you need to do because it protects your, your, your constituents. This you need to do because it's morally right. This you need to do, you know. You um, know, I was, for, for all the, the, the thoughts about the system being rigged and we don't actually have a say in things, um, things, that, things that stick out to me is the fact that you see a lot of the, this voter suppression stuff going on primarily with the Republican party to keep um, minorities uh, from reaching the, the polls. Um, and you, you see all of this pushback, uh, whether it's between you know race or gender identity and things like that. And then, like you said, this is a bottom up thing. It, it still, it gives me this tiny glimmer of hope that whether, while the system may be rigged and not working in our favor most of the time, there's part of it that still functions where the other side still believes that they need to further rig the system to secure their victory instead of just playing fair. So that tells me something works. It's like a clock where it's correct twice a day. Um, I guess I'm a bit more of an optimist than you there. You know, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> my reading of history is that we've had a lot of these bottom up movements mm -hmm. that, you know, um, they have actually made significant progress um, on a number of issues. That doesn't mean they're, that doesn't mean our work is done. No, it, uh, yeah. it, it seems it turns out that the more progress we make, the, fur the more we understand how much further we have to go. Okay, I, okay. I respect that. Yeah, you, guys have, you guys have, are, you guys have been there from damn near the beginning and I'm just getting here. Yeah, you had and, something and, to say. And, and, and we have to remember that, yes, the president's theory has, he has our back, but things happen in our local communities. You need to make sure that you have, you're electing and you're going out not just for the presidential. It's important. Right. But making uh, sure that yep. you are um, connecting and knowing who you need to be voting for in local, local politics, because that's where it, what happens in your community, your neighbor, your greater neighborhood, your city, that kind of thing happens there. Well, it's actually even more important. You know, um, right. the, the great town speaker, Tip O'Neill, famously said, all politics is local. Hmm. And this is what he means. You know, the people who are writing these, uh, you know, voter restriction laws are your state representatives and state senators. Yes. If you didn't vote for them, then um, 
I'm afraid it's partly on you if you didn't go out and exercise your vote. So um, Naima and my fellow co-hosts, what, what, there's an election coming up May the 18th in a couple of weeks. Um, thank you. Um, we need to, who do we, what are there things that are coming up in local politics that, that's on that May 18th ballot that we need to know about? I mean, I think it's important, like you, you raised Dr. Renee, to, uh, to take power in our local elections, like district attorneys and the courts, right? Um, because we elect these folks into office. And, and as you know, the district attorney is responsible for the prosecution of folks in that area, right? And we know that Pennsylvania is like in the top 10 um, in the United States that is uh, affected by mass incarceration. So like, uh, let's just make sure that we understand our candidates. Like, again, as someone that works at the ACLU, I can't endorse any candidate or advise of anything, right? And, and this right. goes back to the, the uh, Caitlyn Jenner. It's like me taking my hat off, but it is you actually really going out and, and doing your research on a person and making sure that the, the issues that they're focusing on as a candidate is something that will benefit you as a person and community, right? And then again, look at the track record, right? Don't just look at the last five years because these are career politicians, yeah. right? These are career people. They, they navigate and then they also navigate throughout the nation. So make sure you look at the track record of an individual, what they've done for their community, what harm have they caused before you click that button to vote for them, right? Educate yourselves. You know, right, and something that I've done in my younger years, it was just like, I was so busy, the election's coming up, I need to figure out who's running. I will usually go to, I am a feminist, I would usually go to a feminist website, whether it's Women Organized Against Rape, Women Against Abuse, just some, some organization whose politics, who I believe in what they're, what, what they're about, I will go to their website or their sister website or whatever and see who they're endorsing and why. Um, so that helps me to at least make an educated guess because you can read stuff, but then you go, but that doesn't mean what that looks like it means. It can mean something else. So going to an organization that you believe in, um, whose politics you believe in, whether it's, you know, you are, I've never heard anyone who is, uh, what's, what's, what are you doing with the birds again? Fostering the birds? Or these? Well, well, I adopted them. They were a foster and then now they're, they're stuck with me because I love them for life now. <laughs> three years. I've been fostering them for three years now. So <laughs> I, they're mine. Think, I think in that other makes words, you guys come along. a bird sanctuary. Yes, yes. What I, kind I of birds are they? Fish. Uh, one of them is a lovebird and the other one is a cockatiel. There were two birds that a neighbor oh, was going to uh, open a cage and let go because oh they my were, God. Uh, yeah, they were causing uh, mice and uh, roaches in her house. So, mm. uh, so I was like, no, don't do that. The rats are, the rats are eat them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They so I said, I'll, out there. I, yeah. I'll take them. And then initially I was going to separate them, but they seem to love each other. So I was like, Aww. well, well, I'm not. I have a sanctuary in my house. Three dogs, a senior cat, two birds. Like, listen, and a and, and a host of flowers, as y'all can see. Uh, <laughs> I've had uh, two green cheat conyers um, at my mom's place uh, yeah, many years ago, and they birds are messy, and I don't think a lot of uh, new bird owners realize that that they're very messy, and you have to really clean up after them because 
all the food that they drop over in their cages uh, will attract vermin. Um, and that's what mostly catches people unprepared, the level of cleaning you have to for birds. Yeah, I had birds like decades ago, like when I was late teens, early 20s or something. It's specifically like cockatiels, lovebirds, like a lot of a lot of the birds that like, especially ones that use their the conures and cockatoos who use their feet to eat and they they just break the shells all over. And it's 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 shocking how much food they waste, but that's how that's how it works in nature where they, you know, break open a seed, everything falls to the, the, the forest floor, and then that just gets recycled into the, yeah, it don't work that way in your house. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so this brings us to the end of, a, of an hour. Naima, I thank you so much. I knew that you would have something to say about everything. And then I knew that you brought the passion with you. Um, it's, it's been great having you on again and, um, enlightening us and our listeners. So thank you for that. Yes, uh, thank you, Dr. Renee, um, Sandy and Herman for having me today. Absolutely. Where can they find us? On the internet. No, hold on. I had, let me pull up my uh, script. Okay, you can find us everywhere. We are on iTunes, Podomatic, Google, the Google Play Store, TuneIn, Spotify, and on Alexa through Amazon. And if we're not on your favorite podcast channel, let us know. Sandy, you taking us home? And, uh, of course I am. And of course, we are on the air Thursday evenings at 7 and set, um, WGGTLP, Germantown Community Radio. And we are on the air Saturdays at 2 p.m. on WXVU 89.1 at Villanova University. You are listening to Germantown Community Radio, 92.9 FM, WGGTLP, Philadelphia, and online at gtownradio.com. This has been Cue the Mic. We'll see you next week. I also hope Congress will get to my desk the Equality Act to protect LGBTQ Americans. For all transgender Americans watching at home, especially young people, I want you to know your president has your back. Secondly, on President Biden's transgender rights executive action, specifically when it applies to high school sports, mm -hmm. uh, what message would the White House have for trans girls and cis girls who may end up competing against each other uh, and, and sparking some lawsuits and some concern uh, among parents? So does the administration have guidance for schools on dealing with disputes arising over trans girls competing against and with cis girls? I'm not sure what your question is. The president's executive order has- uh, I'm familiar with the order, but what, what was your question about it? My question it? is, does the president have a message for local school officials on dealing with these kind of disputes that are already starting to arise? Between uh, you know, trans girls who are competing and cis girls, and a level playing field, particularly in high school sports when it leads to college scholarships. Is there any kind of messaging or clarification that the White House wants to give on the executive order? I would just say that the president's belief is that uh, trans rights are human rights, and that's why he signed that executive order. Uh, and in terms of the determinations by universities and colleges, I would certainly defer to them. I would just say that the president's belief is that uh, trans rights are human rights, and that's why he signed that executive order. Is there any kind of messaging 
or clarification that the White House wants to give on the executive order? I would just say that the President's belief is that uh, trans rights are human rights, and that's why he signed that executive order. So is there any kind of messaging or clarification that the White House wants to give on the executive order? I would just say that the President's belief is that uh, trans rights are human rights, and that's why he signed that executive order. So is there any kind of messaging or clarification that the White House wants to give on the executive order? I would just say that the President's belief is that uh, trans rights are human rights, and that's why he signed that executive order. Trans rights are human rights. Trans rights are human rights. The President has your back.